Welcome to episode 132 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the greatest minds ever discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Ryan, and with me today, this week, are the heroes of open source, Michael, Noah, and Wendy. So our friend Zeb is off on holiday this week, and one of our listeners' favorite guests, Wendy, has agreed to join us in his place. So this week, we're going to start with you, Wendy. How have you been since the last time you were on Destination Linux? I've been doing pretty good. Things have been crazy with family, and so we've been traveling a lot. But I've got some fun updates to go with one of the stories we're doing today. So I will save most of my what I've been doing for this week for that story. Awesome. Perfect. I can't wait to hear it. And thank you so much for joining in Zeb's place. So Noah, what have you been up to, sir? I did something fairly hacky this week. So uh, as anybody that listens to my program has probably undoubtedly painfully aware is I'm obsessed with audio over IP. I think it's like the coolest thing ever. And one of the commercial appliances that we purchased to run the studio died. Uh, and at first that was like a bad thing. Cause I was like, Oh, how are we going to fix this thing? It's a lot of money and it's, it's down, whatever. But then I opened it up and it's just a PC inside. It's literally a PC inside. Like they've actually taken a little post-it label thing with the serial number for the, the manufacturer that makes this device and put it over the, the motherboard. So you couldn't see what the make and model of the motherboard was. So you'd call them and say, this is my serial number for my device. So the way that the storage is mounted inside of that that computer, we'll call it, it's a small little compact flashcard that goes into an adapter that sits inside of a IDE uh, slot. So I am in the product. Like I took the I took the compact flashcard out and I DD'd it onto a virtual disk image, and now I'm going to see if I can go about the process of importing that image into a virtual server, and if I can, I'll be able to have a an, an entire audio over IP broadcast studio inside of a VM. It'll be, be very cool if it works. Nice. I don't know if it's going to work. We so the replacement, I assume, costs a lot of money. And what you've done yeah, it's is... about eight grand. Wow. Mm -hmm. So this reminds me of a story that I uh, was watching on YouTube with people who are using the red cameras. And the red cameras are tens of thousands of dollars and shooting these ridiculous resolutions and all of this. But one of the things that came out is the mini mag memory card that's, that you have to buy if you want to use the red camera. Somebody opened it up and mm -hmm. realized it was just basically a cheap drive that, you know, no brand drive. And they had a little interface that connected to that cheap drive that would interface with the red camera. So the person right. just kind of popped that off and could put a much, much cheaper, like $100 versus $1,400, um, you know, drive in there and use the, the thing just fine. And it's so interesting that companies feel like they can kind of get away with this hackery of selling these things for twice as much money when it's really just this hundred dollar tech sitting inside. It's kind of scamming. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. here's what I, so the company that made this particular device, it's the R and D that goes into developing the software that does this particular thing that makes it so valuable. I mean, the actual components are not valuable, but I don't think they think the actual components are valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I have an idea. I'm going to make a blueberry pie. Nice. <sighs> well done, Michael. Speaking of Michael, what have you been up to this week? Uh, I've been doing Baking, some obviously. thinking. I've all, that's all I do is come up with weird, weird puns and stuff. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of stuff. I've been working on some uh, things for, for DL, and I actually created some more custom 
modifications to the OBS because everybody loves to hear that stuff, right? Uh, but I've actually been playing with some uh, Arch lately, and uh, yeah, right. And it's been it's been interesting because I've been trying to do so like a wide variety of different things, and Endeavor makes it so much nicer to use. Uh, as far as setting up, so I can play with various things and not worry that I just destroyed my system. Uh, because when I, when I typically was using Arch back in the day, it was like I didn't want to try too much. I didn't want to, you know, test out various different things uh, that are insane and really, you know, like replacing, like using Plasma and replacing KWIN with something else and just see what happens. Well, now with Endeavor, I don't have to worry about that. I mean, I don't have to worry that it's going to happen because if it just if it crashes, you know, 15 minutes later, I got it back up. So like that's you know that's nice. Um, so let's like talk about the email that was this week we got and, uh, it says, uh, thanks for doing such great work for the open source community, which I, you know, I, you were, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you feel that way. And he says, I've been using Linux for 20 years now, and I've now have been using Linux exclusively for maybe three years. I have an Ubuntu phone, void Linux on my tablet and PC. I want to see Love what it. tablet that is. Uh, I've recently joined the Fediverse through Librem one and Mastodon. I have come across some rather questionable content while doing general res- general searching for interest, my interest over Mastodon. Here's the point I'm getting at. Open source helps the community and levels the technology playing field for everyone. This is why I choose to do everything I can on such a platform. But what helps the good guys is also uh, helping the bad guys. So staying anonymous, writing brilliant code, etc. are good things, but those things also make it possible for criminals to hide and steal code. And when things are decentralized, how does moderation work? It's like I respect others while having their quirks, but I don't want to see that stuff when I'm go roaming around the Fediverse. I've seen strange images, uh, strange images even without sensitive content warning. Uh, so who decides what is deemed appropriate or not? And would you trust your kids using the Fediverse uh, if there is, you know, some weird, strange content around the corners? Uh, what is the future, and how do we protect the decentralized model without sacrificing the freedoms and inter- individual rights we choose to use for the service? And like I said, I respect other people's lifestyle choices un- unless they infringe or de- or detrimental to my my loved one and my my well-being and my loved one's well-being. I don't like uh, you know all the different wars that are happening as far as like you know culture wars or whatever. And to think that there are you know mature, constructive ways to solve these issues. What do you think? Uh, signed, Happy Void Linux user. So this is an interesting problem, and I see this kind of come up a lot about. Um, you know, wanting to have these filters in place for kids, wanting to protect even who are people who aren't kids who don't want to see certain images or things. And when you have free platforms, certainly the idea is that people can post what they want um, out there. I I struggle with this because as someone with kids, when do you have kids? No, you have kids. So it would be interesting yep. to get your take. But my feeling is that it's my responsibility. My kids are very early in on tech. I was even for my age, very early in on tech because of what my dad did in computers. And we constantly had to deal with this where my dad was monitoring what I was doing. And back then, AOL chat rooms, I monitor what my kids watch on YouTube and these other platforms that are not free and open source. And you're not supposed to be able to post what you want, but bad players still get in there and do that. There is even a situation on YouTube where people were targeting specifically kids' videos in the kids' sections to put inappropriate images and things randomly in to these videos. So the first part of the video would be a cartoon, then there would be some adult thing going on, then it would go back to cartoon. So even in these platforms that are supposed to be uh, monitored and filtered and all of this, you still have the same problem to deal with, which is why I think you have to be actively involved 
with your kids and what they're doing online. And obviously having lots of conversations because no matter how active involved you are, there's going to be times where they see things that they shouldn't. Um, to me, freedom of speech is not the perfect system, but it's the best thing we have because the alternative of banning and deciding these people's opinions we don't want and these people's opinions we do and leaving that up to other people who have certain biases to make that decision is far more dangerous than the idea of having freedom of speech. I think that user filters are the answer to this, allowing individual users to decide what they want to see, what they want to filter and having fine-tuned controls there within these individual systems versus leaving it up to corporations or governments to decide what we should hear, see, or do on these platforms. That's my personal opinion. I'd be interested to know what you guys think. Yeah, Mastodon's actually adding uh, a feature so you can filter things out more easily. So like they're working on doing that. Uh, and I think that the, the the thing they had for the longest time is that you would host your own Mastodon server and then you could choose what to connect to the Vetiverse or not. And you could disable certain servers so that you could, you know, you could moderate it in some way. And I think that as far as like the the Fediverse is is interesting because there's so many things that inter interact with it, and that could be good things and that could be bad things. So it's hard. You'd have to fill the only way to. There's no way to filter out all the bad stuff. You'd have to manually go in and say this part. I don't want to. I don't want this server connected to my server and all that sort of stuff. So there's going to be something that you know falls through the cracks in that kind of sense. Uh, but it's interesting that they're working on making it more possible for people to easily switch you know certain servers on and off. Uh, so I like that part. Uh, I think that the, it's it's an interesting topic because also related to Mastodon is uh, F-Droid. Like F-Droid uh, announced that they were going to block some certain certain servers off the Fediverse and that are are you know in certain remove certain apps that are using the Fediverse that they didn't want. And it's interesting because you're talking about the the freedom of speech. And while the majority of the time I agree with that, it's it's interesting because it's worth noting that. The, the F-Droid company that makes F-Droid is based in the UK, and there actually are laws in the UK around hate speech and stuff. So when people say that they shouldn't be doing stuff that's not illegal, they shouldn't be removing things that are not illegal, and technically in the UK it is. So, like, how do we, you know, like, the Internet is not based on any particular set of laws, but the, the F-Droid themselves are, you know, they had to adhere to the UK laws because they're in the UK. So, like, there's this weird structure of like trying to be as most open as possible at the same time not violating laws where wherever your company is based i didn't see any of the claims there saying this was against uk law that's why we're doing it i saw it more as a moral stance that they thought they were taking i mean if i'm wrong i'm wrong but i would be interested to know we have a lot of listeners from the uk what those laws are um that that are protecting that because uh, I didn't see it as they came out and said, hey, we have to because legally this is what is going on in the UK. I saw messages that look like, you know, moral stances of we don't want to support this. Yeah, these ideas or, you know, whatnot. I'm pretty sure it is based on that. But, you know, the, the, my point is, is that when people were saying that it's, they shouldn't be blocking things that are not illegal. And I was just, you know, technically speaking, it is illegal for their area. So what do you think, Noah? Uh, you have kids. You obviously have to protect them from things that might appear online what is your take i yeah one of my colleagues that i work with pretty closely with that's his thing is he goes out and tries to educate parents and other people on how to keep kids safe on the internet and some of the stuff that he has come across would make your you make your stomach crawl 
Um, and I think it's important as parents for us to address that head on that that kind of content does exist on the internet and that your kids will eventually stumble into it if they're on there long enough and looking long enough without enough supervision. The other side of that is just because I can mirror the port that goes to the AP to my kid's room and send all of that information to a logger and then grab for the information that I need to go back to see and automatically generate and automate the process of monitoring my kids doesn't mean I should. Uh, it, because I have a, a, a technical ability far and beyond, beyond most parents, and I think everybody watching this show probably does, uh, that doesn't mean that you want to impede on one, your kid's trust, because there is something to be said there. Even though I'm not trading in my parenting card, I'm still their dad, I'm still going to make decisions in their best interest. There is something to be said about establishing trust. Hey, here are the boundaries. Here are the guidelines. Here's how I'm going to go about the process of enforcing those boundaries. And then I respect the boundaries that I as the parent have put into place so that my kids know where it's appropriate and safe to kind of explore out and, 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 and try some new things and, and the areas that I want them to stay away from and that there's going to be consequences if they do. Uh, and so I have tried to, to, um, to create that balance and I've been working on it for years, and I, I, I would be lying to you if I said I felt like I perfected it. But I've gotten to a point now where my kids, they feel pretty comfortable exploring technology. My middle daughter is exploring a Wacom tablet and how to draw and stuff like that. My older son is exploring Python and setting up Minecraft servers and stuff like that. So they, And, and my littlest one is just really getting into text editing and, and basic drawing and stuff like that. So I, I think they're going about learning about technology in a healthy way. I just think that either two sides of the extreme are bad. Extreme control to the point that the kids are no longer really independently experiencing technology. They're just watching you experiencing technology or they are just uh, repeating, just kind of, you know, dad did this and so now I'll do this, that kind of thing. Uh, that's bad. And I also think just a totally hands-off approach, go out into the internet and good luck. I think that's dangerous and bad. I think the, I think that we have a happy medium somewhere we've got to get to. Yeah. So, Wendy, what is your thoughts on this? Well, I agree with a lot of you. I think it's more more our responsibility to control that because we can't can't give that control over to somebody else. And there's no way that even if somebody else has that control, that everything is going to be completely removed. We have, you know, some laptops around the house that my kids use. They have some tablets that they use, which I have set certain restrictions on those. But it's one reason why I also use an ad blocker because I want my six-year-old to be able to go look up a coloring page and not have to worry about what ad she might see or what ad she might click on because I'm not standing there next to her all the time. I want her to be able to use it, go find a coloring page and not have to be monitoring every single thing they do. So for stuff like this, yes, there's stuff that you don't want to see. But the user-defined rules are a great way for people to take control of being able to use those open source options, letting our family use those open source options, and control what everybody's seeing in our homes. Interesting. So I think this individual was kind of more talking, too, about should these platforms that we have in the Fediverse be responsible for this material out there? Should they be mass banning? Should they be the moral police of deciding what things go through? And it sounds like what we're saying is they should have controls there to allow people to filter right. things, and but not as a whole be the decider of this is what you get to see, this is what you don't. And we kind right. of added in that 
you know, even Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, Twitter. I mean, sometimes I accidentally, you know, follow somebody on Twitter because I look at their profile, they follow me and they're like, yeah, big Linux advocate, blah, 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 blah. So I follow them. And all of a sudden I see things on Twitter. I didn't know there were Twitter accounts that existed (laughs) because they're out there liking it. And then it comes up on my feed when I'm opening Twitter. So all these platforms have this stuff in it. It's mm-hmm. not like yeah. if the in, in Twitter and Facebook and all these are supposed to be heavily moderated platforms and still the, you know, the content gets through. So that's why I also don't believe that it's possible to properly expect companies to be the moral police and decide what goes through. And, and then there's all kinds of political fallout yeah. as well yeah. that can happen from this type of thing where one side gets to, to make their points and the other side basically gets silence so to me it's more of users should be responsible for this the platform's only responsibility should be providing powerful filtering tools to allow you to choose what you see yeah i agree the with platform that. should be services and not publishers so the people who are putting the content on there should be in control of the content but as a service the other user should be able to weed out what they don't want to see uh, that's a good point. I, I think that they, I, they're not, they're not published. They shouldn't be considered publishers and they shouldn't be the ones who control the content. So like a publisher would. Uh, so I think that it's like, it, it's good that they're making like some of this, these, these platforms are making tools to do filtering and stuff and other ones aren't. Uh, but majority of the platforms are doing something that gives you a lot more control, especially Mastodon. Cause they talk about the latest version they're working on making it much more controlled as far as filtering goes. Uh, so that's good. We want to hear from you, our listeners. Emails like this get great discussion topics going, and we also get lots of great follow-up emails with your opinions on the situation. Send in your favorite Linux software tips and tricks, thoughts on how this situation should be handled. We love to know all of those things from our community. So send us your emails at comments at destinationlinux.org. And we will read your comments. And for the ones that uh, we think will generate lots of discussion, we will put them live on the air. And we appreciate everybody continuing to support the channel. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all of this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month, or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That, my friends, is darn near free. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for one month free with a $50 credit by going to do dot co slash dl you want to let them know that we sent you so again you can get started with that fifty dollars of credit going to do.co slash dl and thank you so much to DigitalOcean for continuing to sponsor this podcast so first in the show is some news from the susa team and they have announced a new ceo for taking over from the previous uh, ceo uh, brockman so the new ceo is melissa d donata Probably said that wrong, but if I did, sorry. Uh, Melissa is the former COO of uh, SAP, or SAP, and has a track record of increasing revenues and publishing growth from the cloud. This is their structure, and Melissa had a statement based on the announcement saying, uh, there is no greater honor than to lead SUSE into its next chapter of accelerated growth and corporate development. 
SUSE is at the cusp of historic shift as open source software is now a critical part of any thriving enterprise core business strategy. It'll be interesting to see what visions Melissa has for SUSE, especially as it concerns some of the discussions uh, occurring with OpenSUSE as they work through like different dependent, uh, dependence models and like different funding models and other kinds of things like that. Yeah, so this was really interesting to me because we know that the OpenSUSE team has been working on at least developing some ideas and spinning those up of how to gain a little bit more independence, not complete mm-hmm. independence, but a little more independence from SUSE allowing them to take donations directly, hardware donations, those type of things. So I'm sure some of that goes up, and I don't know, obviously, but I'm sure some of that would go up and be be decisions made by the CEO. And Brockman was the prior CEO of OpenSUSE, and he did a fantastic job. I mean, they had eight years of expansion, of revenue growth. Um, Obviously, there are huge players coming into the cloud market now with IBM Red Hat, Uh, Microsoft Azure, you've got Amazon out there, you've got Google, you've got all the big players kind of fighting for their place in the cloud markets, but probably their biggest, uh, I don't know, threat, but competition would be the Red Hat and IBM thing. So they're making some changes here. They brought in a CEO that um, is known for kind of pushing growth and expansion. So it'll be interesting to know what they'll be able to do. But I was also interested in thinking about how this impacts OpenSUSE down the road. Is this a situation where maybe her vision will change and she doesn't want that independence to happen or do the conversations just continue as they were and this has zero impact? Um, I'm guessing maybe it's somewhere in uh, the middle. Maybe there's a little bit of impact or delay in some of the decisions, but hopefully they can still move forward with some of their plans here. Uh, I did think it was interesting that there's another quote under... Uh, Donato's leadership, SUSE will continue to focus on growth and expansions. What that means is she expected to advance SUSE's core business and emerging technologies, both organically, and this is the part I thought was interesting, and through add-on acquisitions. So that's... Can you uh, can you go ahead and tell me what that means, Ryan? Yes. Uh, through add-on acquisitions, to me at least. No, 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 no. That whole thing. Under, under like, SUSE well, that- will continue to focus on growth and expansion. What does that mean? That means they'll continue to do exactly what every other business's focus is. Oh, okay. Yeah. What does what that means is that they're expected to advance SUSE's core business with emerging technologies. What does that mean? Well, do you want to play buzzword bingo? Because we can get the bar. yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's my point, right? And this is and I, I we had we we interviewed SUSE and we got a a very 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 similar uh, outcome. This is the, like that whole block says nothing. It says we're going to continue to be a business and do the same thing that we've always done because that's what businesses do. But in like, that's, what that- show, that's the same thing you said about Red Hat because yes. that's what corporations do. They speak business talk all the time. Yeah, but they don't. Have, where's their version of Chris Wright on Reddit doing an AMA? But you've got to read through the lines here and I think the add-on acquisitions was the most interesting part of that because this could mean, I mean, Sousa's not broke by any stretch of the imagination. They sure, had a little dollars. And so they could make some acquisitions here, some purchases of other companies coming up to help them accelerate their growth in this area. So, are you are you implying they're going to buy Canonical? This is happening tomorrow, confirmed. And Half Life Three is also coming out. So <laughs> exactly. there you go, from Valve. confirmed. Yeah. No, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think it's interesting. There's a leadership shakeup here. I wish Melissa the best with Open Sus or with Susa. And I hope the OpenSUSE team gets some advantages here as well to help accelerate their wish to kind of have a little bit more independence. I hope this doesn't block any of that. Um, And there's no signs that it will. But 
it's always good to have competition in here in Red Hat and IBM, probably their biggest. But if SUSE can make some moves here to try to compete, I think that's good for the market overall, right? Yeah. Do you is is there any indication, any indication of any one specific thing that SUSE is is doing? Just out of curiosity. I mean, they made like a two point four billion dollar acquisition. They have to be doing something, right? Yeah. I don't remember anybody coming to me asking to pay me two point four billion dollars for uh, well, that's true. my DOS Geek channel. So I mean that's true, but doesn't I mean but here's the but here's the thing too, DOS Geek also doesn't get sold once every few months. So I mean there's that. <laughs> well they get sold once every few years. Listen, you red hat so, fanboy. Don't you come in here hating on Melissa. We're gonna wish I'm not hating on Melissa. I wish Melissa great. all the best. I just I think we might want to have a, a a serious conversation of what it is that Seuss is going to bring to the market and what they're planning on actually doing. Well, clearly they've brought something to the market that people find valuable because they're a billion-dollar corporation. Yeah. And also they, they're the main backers behind ButterFS, which is some people right. would say things. The, some people say so things negative about ButterFS. ButterFS no. is cool. I am so not you wrong about ButterFS. Wrong. I, I am not. I've been ButterFS for the last, what, now five months, and I have had zero market, zero issues. In fact, it's been nothing but Better because right, it's, very, very difficult, it's very difficult to have issues when all of your data goes down the tubes once every three months. Of course, you're not going to have any issues. You're not going to have any data to have any issues. Well, okay, there's a difference between people. Duh. People, there's, the way that OpenSUSE use like tells you to use ButterFS is a, a much more interesting thing that people typically do with it. Because like for your testing, that I think last time you were when you tested it, you were using ButterFS for everything. And the way that OpenSUSE does it is ButterFS for the root system and the boot system, but then also uh, having XFS, XFS for this, like the slash home. And then you could also do like another thing for like storage, like a storage array or something. But they have XFS managing all your data separately from the ButterFS stuff, whereas ButterFS is more of the uh, the, the root system and making sure that upgrades are, are like more like transactional and having snapshots and all that stuff. So I mean, I mean this with the utmost respect, Noah, but a lot of people in the community mm-hmm. have a bad experience with something. And it's a and, and they're absolutely right. And then they write that thing off forever as if it would never get better. Yeah, and I'm telling you, I get there. You're not the only one. Many people talked about ButterFS losing their files, having issues, all of this stuff. But I don't see that type of feedback any longer. And I, can I guess you my here's, personal here, use I guess here's here's a, like and not to totally derail the entire show uh, for ButterFS, but like I, I guess here's the here's the way this conversation plays out. They go, oh, ButterFS has gotten a lot better. I'm like, eh, yeah, still don't have a candle on ZFS. Oh, I don't know about that. It's making some progress. Okay, can I fill it all the way up? No, I mean, you have to use it responsibly. But if you do, if, as long as you're aware of how far the drive is full, it, it's I'm like. Come on, really? Like you can say the like, same thing about what? ZFS. People shouldn't be using ZFS for you know their their main system. They should be using it for a storage array and stuff. You can say the art. That's can, not true. That's not true at all. In fact, ZF. In fact, they are going about the process of of trying to standardize the code of ZFS so that Open ZFS and all of the implementations of ZFS will be consistent across the board. But they, like there's a, there was a guy that presented at Linux Fest Northwest that uses ZFS on Linux in production all the time as a standard file system. Works great. Doesn't have any problems. Wendy, like, be, be, be the deal breaker here. Who's right? <laughs> You're both just. We're both right. All right. Amazing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> She I has she has ButterFS on her computer and she runs ZFS on her st- on her server, so it's like there you go. There's a mix. I think you should give <laughs> it another ever. try. Is what I'm saying. No, don't write things off forever because sometimes the technology improves enough 
that there's actually a lot of advantage to it. And I'm telling you, it's not rollback. I've used lots of different rollbacks, and there are a lot of them are fantastic. But like the ones in ZFS, is literally flawless in rollback. I that is one of the wonderful things about OpenSUSE. Yep. Yeah, there's there's so, so, there's so like anytime you ever have an issue, even if you like, I didn't even have, I never have had an issue with my open uh, OpenSUSE setup, uh, but I tested it just in just in case to see how the rollback was, and it was they took like five seconds, and also making it permanent takes five seconds. It's one command; it's not a big deal. Like there's a lot of cool stuff that OpenSUSE does, and also like the OBS uh, Open Build Service is awesome. Open QA is awesome. They do a lot of cool stuff. They just mm-hmm. don't get a lot of attention for it because most of the stuff they have that's really cool is in the back end or infrastructure. Well, stuff. I don't think they get a lot of attention for it here in the U.S. I think they get lots of attention for it over in Europe. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, that's probably true. We have really been wanting a Linux-based operating system for our phones, yeah. and there have been, you know, a couple starting out there but there's a new one that is called e and they've been working on it for 18 months on google Fi. they are based on lineage os but they made some tweaks and changes to that they have really nice out of the box applications email online storage calendar notes and they have a store set up in there that you can download additional apps one of the things I loved about their store is you can see a privacy rating for each app that you go install. Mm-hmm. I know this because that's one of the things I did this week was it available for my phone. It's available for 81 different mobile devices. I know it's one of them. I figured what the heck, let's throw it on there <laughs> and see how it works. So nice. I've been using it since Wednesday. And other than a couple apps that I normally use, like um, Pocket Cast, that one's not available in the App Store right now. But just about everything else is fine. It works fantastic. I haven't dropped a call, haven't missed a call or a text message. It's just like running a stock firmware that was on my phone before. And even better with this operating system, if you're in the UK, you can get phones, used phones preloaded with this wrong super awesome that's nice yeah this this was one of the most unique things that they've done because a lot of these root kit operating systems where you got to root your phone you got to put a new operating you system you should got a root kit operating system <laughs> well okay not a root kit but you know you, you have to unlock the bootloader you got to unlock the bootloader Listen, and sometimes you need remote access to your phone okay right, exactly <laughs> exactly my point is that a lot of this is beyond most people want either to do or they you know, they're under warranty with their devices. So they go and buy a new phone under plan. And if you do any of this type of unlocking and things, a lot of times it can uh, remove your warranty on your phone and phones are costing an insane amount of money. And, you know, it just, a lot of it takes a lot of work to get working. And I love the idea that they're taking these refurbished devices and these aren't super old devices either. It's not like these are phones still. These are some of the later Samsungs and devices to put this on and they're selling it with you preloaded on. So number one, it's a great way to get phones that are still perfectly viable back out there in the market. And it's a really solid way for them to raise money to continue building out their OS. And the phones were all reasonably priced when I looked out there. So I just, I wish they would open this up into the U.S. too. And because even somebody who knows how to do that, like me, unlock bootloaders and do all that type of stuff on devices, I would rather just buy a phone and be able to use it right out of the box. 
but it, it does take time yeah to get everything installed and one of the nice things i like that about it is you can get the over air updates so you don't need to know anything fancy you got an update that comes down for the operating system that's on your phone it tells you hey you got an update you click on it download it and install it just like you would a standard manufacturer's update super awesome yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of potential it has i'm kind of curious out of the 80 devices how many are because of lineage like how much have they changed in lineage like they haven't really given some of it but lineage no longer has a running update for my phone have a moto to play and they don't currently make one for my phone but i can get the latest security patch through e and so i think lineage has some of the background it gives them a really good foundation lineage is awesome i've been running it on my other motorola phone for years and lineage is rock solid so they took this already established base and have made some really great tweaks to it, even though it's technically beta. You know, the the operating system really isn't that old as far as they've been working on it. Mm-hmm. I'd never know because everything works on my phone. I can use it like normal. Nothing dropped. That's interesting. That's awesome. I want to check out what's in the store because like it does say they have like 60,000 apps in their store, uh, which is not anywhere near what Android actually has, but it's still a gigantic amount of apps to be able to be using for like a, you know, a, a beta OS and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I would well, imagine I mean, you'd be Amazon missing Amazon music and audible and those are there. So I, I mean, there's you're a missing like that. banks and things like that. Probably banks, credit card company apps. Maybe. Yeah. Specific. Like, one purpose. Certain use. paid apps too. Yeah. I would assume that, like anything that's like a, you know, the big popular, proprietary stuff like Instagram because in order to get Instagram on a, on, a, on a store they'd have to build it the Instagram themselves would have to build it for the store uh, and you know things like that but, so some of the apps that you have maybe, to have on your phone Wendy you had all of them but pocket cast it sounds like were available in that 60,000 apps yeah. Wow. yeah I mean most of the Google apps if you actually wanted them most of the Google apps are in the store my audible was in the store Amazon music was in the store you know things that I use all the time they were in there can you install the google play store itself if you wanted to i don't know i haven't tried it's technically uh, possible I was in lineage. Wanting to just go ahead and, and use it for the week yeah but i might back it up and see if i can get gaps installed and if, then if it borks it i'm not out anything because i've got a backup yeah. Do we have a list of compatible phones for people that want to try this? I, I know that there were some people that uh, back in the lineage days that they would go buy phones specifically to run lineage on them. Do we have anything like that for? Yeah, I think their website does have a list. They have a full list on their website. Yep. Yeah. And lineage does too now and as well. From their list, you can download. They've got the download links. So they've got everything right there on their site if you want to trade out. Yeah. On an existing device, and we do have to, you know, take a, a, you know, let people know that the name we we've we said the name of it, but the name of it is not very good. So trying to find it on search is also not very easy, <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's 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 a uh, e is like what it's referred to as, but it's slash e slash. So they need some work on their branding. Uh, that was a a pretty r- ridiculous name, uh, especially when you when you why, just why search, do you say that, Michael? Because when you. <laughs> Go to Google or DuckDuckGo and search for it, and you know, good luck. Good luck. Yeah, it's hard to find that way. Um, yeah, and also, like, even if you search for the name of their other st- stuff, like the Aurora Store, if you do that, you just get like stores in Aurora, Colorado. 
<laughs> so, like there's a, like it's it's kind of a, a difficult thing to search for. Uh, but well, I think it's awesome that you took the time to install this. Oh, yeah, that is awesome. That always gives us additional insight in it. Is it something you would keep on there over Lineage, or are you going to go back to Lineage? Um, I had just stock ROM on my phone currently, so yeah, I'll be keeping E on this phone. I wish they had E available. I've got the two Motorola devices. They make one for the 2014 version of the Moto X, but not the 2015 version. Mm. So I've got one running Lineage, and I've got one running E, and they both run great. I would keep either one of them on as a full-time Nice. Mom. I think I, one of the things about E that is different from Lineage is that Lineage is more of like a, um, a hands-on you know, DIY approach, whereas E is trying to take that and build like a more polished experience for the user. So right. like, and they have like custom icons approach, and they have like you know their own application infrastructure where they have like in the, in the different apps that they have that we mentioned earlier about like having their own calendar and their own email and that kind of apps. These apps are also uh, in like a cloud infrastructure, so you can sign up for their like cloud to have syncing of your calendar notes and your your notes calendar and have like online storage thing. So they're kind of creating their own ecosystem as well. Uh, but so if you don't want to use yeah. Google, you can you can use theirs to accomplish similar things. Uh, you might I mean you depending on who you're you know trusting, it's kind of like who you're still trusting another company, but at the same time, it's it's one that we don't necessarily we don't really know if they have any kind of background as far as like whatever. But it's still an option you can use or not use if you want to. So you can you can use your own sync services and stuff if you want. But it, I do like the fact that they're doing yeah. a nice polished approach. Yeah, well, the only thing that I didn't like after installing it was their home screen, their launcher. It reminds me too much of Apple. So all of the apps you install mm. are on the home screen, and that makes me nuts. I can't stand that. So I had to go ahead and install an additional launcher. But nice. I could have a nice, clean home screen and just a few things that I use. But for the most part... It is it's really good, and I can't wait to see what they do with it as they continue to develop it, get more apps, and polish up the store a little bit more. Yes. I always like to funny, follow the money trail, and I love the idea that they're coming out with a unique way to raise money through recycling phones with this pre-installed on it. Noah, you've been, I, I don't want to say... Um, you, you've been reserved when it comes to this kind of phone market and rightfully so because when you're going up against Google or Apple, it's kind of like, good luck. Is this the thing that's going to deceive them? No, yeah. but it's an interesting approach. Yeah, I guess. I, I. So first of all, I hate Android and I hate iOS. Like I, I just I really yep. hate mobile yep. platforms. They're actually pretty terrible. Like I, I think anybody that has a pragmatic approach of it agree, agrees that they're just it's pretty much a crappy platform. It's really just the best compromise. And um you know, it's funny. Anytime you the, the reason that monopolies are so bad is because when if you think about it, like and I'll tread on your attention span just for a second. The dollar store in the United States is one of the most influential business things ever because it gives us a standard, right? You know you can buy a can owner dollar at the dollar store. And so after it breaks and rusts after the first time you use it, then you walk over to Walmart and go, I could pay 10 times the cost. I could pay $10 for a can opener, but that can opener is more than 10 times better because it lasts me for five years. 
the 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 opposite uh is 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 really true here anytime we have just two mobile providers we don't (laughs) there really is no like bottom level and then top level and then things in between you basically have two choices and both of those two choices deliver the absolute worst product for the absolute most amount of money because they really aren't competing with anything else um it would be like if you only had can openers available at you know some ritzy a ritzy store and it's these you're gonna have the cheap chinese crappy can opener for the most amount of money because there's no competition and it's gonna get some and, can openers that say supreme on them Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but that, that's really what it is. Like Apple releases the new version of iOS and we all just look and go, wow, that's so much better. It's great. Why? I don't know. Cause it's the newest version of iOS. There's nothing else out there other than Android. And I know I'm, you know what I mean? Like we don't really, we don't compare this stuff. Um, and so what's exciting to me about not necessarily slash E slash mobile, whatever, however you want to do that. By the way, it says file not found. So you're right. The branding is terrible. But, uh, <laughs> if the, the, the thing that is so exciting about projects like that and projects like Lineage and even things like Copyright OS that went under is the fact that people are becoming hip to the idea that there can be a better mobile experience. And how do we go about the process of getting to a better mobile experience? Well, it takes people like Wendy and like you and like myself that try this stuff and then say, hey, this thing actually works. What like there are some legitimate competitors now that maybe aren't quite quote unquote, as good as Android because they don't have the market penetration that Android has, but from a technical perspective can do all of the same things that Android phones can do. And that's like, to me, that's step one. And uh, so I'm excited. I mean, you notice even the, even the, even Ubuntu touch lives on in its own way. Uh, You know, very niche audience, very specific, very specific hardware, very small team, but nonetheless, it lives on. I I use that. Uh, It's pretty good. I think it's a pretty encouraging uh, state of affairs to say that, we have another mobile operating system entry because after enough times of people of this coming in, even if they fail, people are going to look back and go, oh, there are alternatives to Android and iOS. And they do make some progress. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually interesting because I, uh, the, the, the question earlier about will the Google Play Store work on it? If Lineage, it does work for sure. And it's so more than likely because it's based on Lineage, they should be able to use it. And I think sure. once you had the Google Play Store and you didn't install the all the the suite of Google privacy problems, uh, you would still like you're you're by installing the Google Play Store, you are going to add a little bit of that. But having all those applications, you're not going to have to worry about. So I think that maybe it's possible that you could install the apps that you want from the Google Play Store, then remove the Google Play Store and see what happens there. Uh, if that was possible, I think that would have like a lot of potential as far as like being a solution while at the same time getting everything you need, but not having to worry about all the Google nonsense. It really is all about the apps, and um, that, in my opinion, the OS that can compete either has to do what they're doing and or what Lineage has done and allow you to basically get onto mm-hmm. the App Store. Obviously, you can't do that with Apple because it's closed garden entirely, but with uh, Google, at least they can sideload that on and get some of those apps. Um, and trying to compete now from the ground up to build an infrastructure where you're going to get developers and programmers and everybody else to write millions of apps so that you could have a store to compete is nearly impossible. So you're going to have to find a way of either finding all of the perfect apps that everyone needs, those 20 core apps and getting those in there, which everyone has a different core apps that they want. Yep. Or you're going to have to backbone off of an existing architecture in order to make it or a third player is going to have to come in to try that's a backed by a huge company to try to compete but listen you've got microsoft that failed you have blackberry that's failed you've got the list goes on of companies uh, who tried and failed in this market to- see, you say you say that but you say that but again i feel like the market is way more nuanced than you're letting on right like has blackberry really failed 
because yeah, they, they have some. They abandoned. Cool- they went to. They went to Android. Yeah, sure. The operating system failed, but what I'm saying is they're still making phones, right? Like, no. yeah, and they have their own. They have a manufacturer, TCL or something, making them for them. They don't even manufacture their phones anymore. Okay, whatever, telecom guy. Like, just because I don't. <laughs> no, but like, but it, it. So, so really, what I'm learning is that the market isn't as nuanced as it appears to be, because really, it all comes down to. But then you're just going back to what I said before. Really, it comes down to two competitors, and we don't have yeah, you know, enough competition right. in this market. You, you nailed it perfectly in that example, and it's dead on, and it's unfortunate. But I, I think it can be broken, right? There were times, many times, with different products where we thought. Oh, no one can ever compete. These companies are so far gone. And look at Walmart and Amazon, right? And nobody thought anybody would ever pick on Walmart again. And then yeah. Amazon comes out selling books. And then all of a sudden now becomes one of the top retailers in the world. So is it possible? Sure. But it's not going to be without a fight. And uh, I, I can't wait for the idea of having a third player in here. I can't stand Android or iOS. They're terrible options, as Noah said. It's like picking one rotten apple versus another rotten apple uh, and which one's better to eat. And that, that's what we're stuck with. And in the Linux world, you know, none of these phones provide the privacy and expectations that we'd have from our desktop operating system. And so I think they're all terrible. Lineage OS, Ubuntu phone, uh, any of those options to me are the best option. But I also get people want to play with the latest hardware. They want to install mm-hmm. the latest apps and games. They want to be able to test these things out. We were all talking about the Rock 2 phone that came out. You know, you're not going to probably go be able to sideload lineage and things like that on yeah. that device if you pick it up. So there are there are all these gives and takes. And But the thing you're always giving away is your privacy. And it, it's a terrible situation to be in. And I think there is a lot of potential. But one of the awesome things is, though, is the older phones. Yeah, you might not be able to to run on the latest and greatest unless it's a phone where it comes with the ability to unlock the bootloader from the beginning. But you have these older phones, like my phone or the phone that I have my kids use, that Moto X. It's an older phone, but the hardware is still great. And this gives us the opportunity to have the latest security patches and still be able to use this hardware that's definitely not ready to be thrown away. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's great that like, and also Ubuntu Touch has like some really old phones, and I really like using Ubuntu Touch, but the phones themselves are are so old that they're not really like they're kind of annoying to use. Whereas uh, Lineage and and E have that that benefit of get, having that that massive amount of uh, you know in comparison the amount of devices that they support, and you, so you can have newer sure. phones that have that option. So that's really cool, and also like. There are like you know major players in a certain time, but you know things transition so much. Like you said, Ryan. Like for example, you know at one point Blockbuster was the only place to get movies, and then Netflix destroys them. So like there are things that could happen that are that completely change the landscape of stuff. And I think that there's there's potential for another player to come in. They just have to do it very strategically. And at the same time, they do. They are going to have to just make support for Android apps at least. Like September will be two decades in telecom for me that I've been in the business, and I can tell you, at no point can I remember phones being so boring releases as they are now. The releases coming out for the like, like Noah said, the new iOS, the new Android, the most boring feature sets I've seen in the last ten years with phones coming out. They all look the same. They, you know, as far as the physical design of the phones, it's just which one has the smaller notch. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. It's just spec increases. Which one still has a headphone system. jack? Yeah, the operating system yeah, enhancements no. are minimal, minimal things that nobody really cares about. And there's just no excitement in the industry right now. There's not people lining up. What are you talking up. about, Ryan? You can now get phones that fold. 
Yeah. No, nobody's <laughs> lining up camping out like they used to to get the latest iteration of these phones because it's boring. It's boring. And I think that if a third player could come in, now's the time for them to come in. I don't think any of these options are ready to take on those players, but a, a corporate backed big company could, I think, for the first time actually have an opportunity to come in and do something unique with an operating system that would probably upset the market, whether somebody will actually execute on it because so many people have been slapped down in the past, who knows? Yeah. And there's also a lot of room for uh, many companies to focus on the growth and expansion of the mobile market. Yep. Gnome 3.33.4 snapshot has been released out there. This is the fourth snapshot of the 3.33 series and they have lots of tweaks and enhancements under the hood here which i am more interested in than ever since i've been having to be in not having to but i've been in pop os for the last few weeks since doing this ryzen build waiting for amd to release their patch for the ryzen 3000 cpu so i've spent a lot more time in gnome than i think i ever have before so i'm happy to see some of these enhancements come out some of the features they're looking at is gnome shell improvements such as high DPI icon size fixes, styling visibility improvements, as well as the option to disable what I personally consider to be one of the most annoying features, which is hot corners. Uh, They have Wayland improvements in there as well. Mutters added XDG output V2 support. They fixed some NVIDIA corruption uh, issues with suspending and things. They have additional Wayland features that they're adding in for their outputs and switching GNOME software improvements, including better ways of handling flat packs and just a whole list. Literally, it just scrolls on and on of different bug fixes and tweaks out there. You know, I have to say, Michael, I love XFCE and some KDE, and I've kind of avoided GNOME for a little while, but being on Pop! OS and with a few extensions, it's it's gotten really good. I kind of like the workflow of it. I think Pop! OS is one of the better implementations of GNOME. I think of all the options that I would use, if, if I were to use GNOME, I think the the most likely I would pick is Pop! OS. And that's and I, I think that GNOME, that GNOME is not something that I would want to use because of how limited it is. But I do think that uh, Pop! OS has done a lot of improvements to make that experience much better for the user especially with the hardware support and all that stuff. I think there's a lot of potential. I mean, if anybody wanted to use GNOME and wanted to have like a good experience out of the box, I think Pop! OS is one of the best options. Yeah, there are some things that are just, to me, personally, again, my opinion, absolutely insane that a desktop would not include, like mm-hmm. Taskbar. So you've got to put extensions in there like top icons. Like, who? Oh, why would you not want to know what's running in the background? We'll just make it so that you have to click a button. No, why? Why would... But once you get those extensions installed, the workflow actually, and we're going to talk about one of those extensions I think is absolutely amazing, is actually really solid and fast, and things seem to be running really well. And I agree with you. Maybe it's been all the other times I've been trying, you know, GNOME flavors from other distros, but Pop! OS seems to be extraordinarily solid and well thought out, and Mm -hmm. they seem to have made it for people who use their computer on an everyday basis. It's like GNOME Fixed. Yeah. It's like people who give credit to GNOME about being such a great polished out-of-the-box experience. Like what example distro comes with an out-of-the-box experience? They all change something. Even Fedora, they change a lot. They change stuff too. And it's kind of like there is no such thing as the -the out-of-the-box experience for GNOME because every distro changes so much or a significant amount that it's not really the same thing anyway. And it's Pop! OS, they change it the most reasonable. I think that makes makes Pop! OS... uh, 
makes gnome they they make it the like the best experience overall but i think that there is still a lot of stuff that you have to uh, improve like the top top icons having to add that for a system tray is ridiculous or you know not being able to have desktop icons or whatever nonsense else that there is uh, but overall i do think pop os is doing it and i and i am glad that that you know gnome is still pushing forward to improve certain things like wayland support and all yes. that stuff and making improvements for GNOME software with flat packs. And there's a lot of things that it's good. Uh, I just, you know, it's not for me because there's, there's certain things about GNOME that are so limiting that I don't like that part. I like to be able to con- con- like that heavily customize stuff. However, I do like the, the GNOME workflow, like the overall workflow is quite good. And once you tweak it even more, like you add the different extensions, you can actually make it an even better workflow. And I think the overview is a really slick experience. Um, so I would, I actually do modify my plasma to kind of feel like the GNOME workflow. It's just with GNOME, once you get this workflow set up, that's kind of where you're stuck and you can't, you can't really do certain things without modifying or adding extra packages and all this other stuff. So that's why I like to use other DEs where I can still replicate the GNOME workflow, but have other extra benefits to it. Like XFDE can do it as well. And it's really nice to have that experience, but I would say that GNOME workflow is quite good. Yeah. Wendy, do you use, what are you using now as a distro these days? I'm currently on Manjaro. I've been on Manjaro since December with the Plasma desktop. When I first came to Linux, I did use GNOME a little bit. For the most part, it works really well for me. It's not the desktop for me all the time. I found Plasma works much better for me overall. But I know there's a lot of people who like it, especially in the Destination Linux group. There are, are people who use it every day, and these bug fixes... And especially the the advancements in Wayland and Mutter, that's going to help those people who do use this system. Now, I, if I recall, your your team read right, uh, Wendy. I know you, you're not yes. you run AMD. Yes, that's very important. <laughs> so, how's your experience been on Manjaro? How long have you been on it? Since December, I, I switched over to um, it in December, and actually, you're the reason why I went with an Arch base yeah. because I was on OpenSUSE. And I was having a hard time getting OpenCL support established. And you did a video that was talking about how easy it was just to pull it from the AUR. And I was like, that's it. Yep. So I went uh, Manjaro so that I could have those packages but not have to deal with the latest, latest. Yep. AMD does this really unique thing. And I don't know, say I like it or don't, but they, the OpenCL, which a lot of your, you do photography, Wendy, so this is very important for you, but a lot of professionals need OpenCL. Uh, to utilize within their programs. And that is only part of AMD's pro drivers. So a lot of, I, I've seen this comment before where um, people reply to me saying, uh, all the distros all support AMD out of the box because it's all written into the kernel. What are you talking about? Distros need to work more with AMD. Well, that's not exactly true because even in Pop! OS, the first thing I had to do, go install PPA to get the latest drivers out there installed. Um, a lot of people try to use UKUU or some other program to get to a later kernel so that it can get the latest drivers and things enablement stacks for their hardware. So there's a lot of tweaks that people have to do. One of those being the OpenCL. The easiest implementation of OpenCL I find is Arch because it's in the AUR. You literally type in install OpenCL header and boom, you're done. It's there and it's engaged, which makes it super easy. And that's the type of stuff I would love to see other distros, like we've done the one-click NVIDIA and things like that, have the one-click options to install those additional support 
for AMD. And eventually this will be for Intel GPUs as well when they release their discrete drivers, which I think will be important. So that's kind of what we're talking about because I've seen a lot of comments lately about people saying, well, AMD drivers are already built in. Why would you need to do anything? Well, you still have to do some stuff there, especially for certain... Well, and it's nice if I do an, an update, I don't have to worry about a black screen. You know, if my husband's the next one who goes to, on the computer, and ah, it's broke. You did something. <laughs> That's right, because you're the tech support instead, for your household, right? Exactly, yep. exactly. So instead, I can run an update and I can leave and not have to worry about who's the next person turning on the computer. But for the people who need OpenCL, those things are so important. Yep. Love and it. I mean, it's a, it's a huge part of my workflow. It completely speeds up my process. So I know we're way off topic here now. <laughs> that happens having, sometimes. I'm always going to bring it back around. Yeah, so That happens I, on this show. I do think it's interesting, though. Gnome has yeah. gotten better. I've loved Fedora's Gnome for a long time. I think they had one of the best implementations of Gnome up to this point. My understanding is they pretty much just keep it vanilla, and that was my preferred way until I got <laughs> to Pop! OS, and now I like their way, their customizations that they put on top of it. But either way, if you've been a long-time individual who does not like Gnome, you may want to check it out again because it has improved, I think, a lot. Back in November, Dropbox removed support for file systems other than XEST4 uh, from their Linux client. Now, that's interesting because that means that if you are using ButterFS, <laughs> you're not on EXT4. Well, I mean, if you're using Dropbox, you have other issues anyway, but so. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but just to be clear, it was EXT4, not ButterFS, that they remain support for. Anyway, a supported file system is required as Dropbox relies on extended attributes, XATTRS, uh, uh, to identify files in Dropbox folder and keep them in sync. Now, this move uh, created some controversy, but as we often do in the open source world, most of us just simply moved on. Some of us moved to, I don't know, C file, which supports every file system and works great <laughs> and also has a private key which Dropbox does too, except they share with all their employees, so it's not really private, but I digress. <laughs> uh, anyway, dot, Dropbox has found a solution to the extended attributes in their most recent beta client. As they mentioned, they have now added support for ZFS on 64-bit systems, uh, EcryptFS, XFS, again, and, on 64 systems and, only. And, and ButterFS. <laughs> and also they're going to retain support for ext 4 So <laughs> it appears that Dropbox is adding back support for all of the major Linux file systems, including the one that people shouldn't be using. What cloud storage system options is everybody here using? Now, I personally have, I, I, I started with Dropbox, uh, not my choice, my employer's choice, went to um, you own cloud, your employer. didn't, also didn't work, ended up losing data, went to Nextcloud. Different employer. Did, yeah, different employer. Didn't, um, Nextcloud didn't lose any data, but it was just a lot of overhead, and I still had some bad, bad juju back from the own cloud days, and they really haven't changed anything from the underlying support or the underlying syncing system, so it made me a little nervous. And then I went to C-File, and I've literally never lost a file or had a single problem ever. And uh, so I've kind of just remained on, on C-File. It's so much to the point that I looked at it and I went, Hey, I'm a business owner. I like making money. This is a cool product. People out there probably would like this overdrop. Maybe I should offer this. And so we opened it up. We offered some tiny little plan, like I think a two gig plan and a five gig plan or something. And we tapped out the entire server. Plus the, we had a little bit of overflow from a second machine that we were going to use so that we could expand. And we tapped both of them out. Like they were just maxed within a couple of wow. weeks. And I was like, okay, we're onto something. People do it, do actually care about privacy. Uh, and, and so I, I have to this day, the 
the support ticket queue for C-File? Zero. We've never had anybody that's on that system call in and say, I can't get to my data. It doesn't work. This thing doesn't work. It stops it. Like that, We've not had any problems whatsoever. I mean, that's how great C-File is. So I have just kind of ignored Dropbox for the past few years. And when the story broke, I guess one of the things that kind of dawned on me is, one, if you're a business, the $20 a month for unlimited, quote unquote, unlimited storage on Dropbox, that is kind of an appealing thing. And, you know, the interesting thing, and this is the perfect place to bring this up. Look at look at Michael's problems with storage. Like all joking so aside, problems. like oh, all joking yeah. aside, look at the uh, look at the the fact that he has to deal with his storage system and look what he's storing, right? Pre-records of destination Linux that we are going to for sure release to our patrons and then we're going to edit them down and release to everybody else anyway. Why mm -hmm. would we not use Dropbox for something like that? Who cares if it's not private? The idea is to spread the show anyway. So I think there are some models well, in which I don't want to use them anyway. Yeah, right, right. But what I'm saying is there are some models in which I think we it's okay to 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 reapply a principle in a different way. Yeah, we don't agree with Dropbox's privacy thing, but it's a really cost-effective way to get something done. The privacy in this case doesn't matter, and let's face it, they want their way to support some esoteric file systems on Linux like that BTRFS. Oh, come on, Noah. Now, I think it, I think it is interesting that they dropped support for it back uh, I think it was sometime in 2018. Yeah, it was like and, October, I think. And I believe they made, and I couldn't find it, so I didn't put it in here directly, but there were a lot of articles I found talking about them quoting as saying, you know, there was some systematic reason, security reason, they couldn't support these file systems, blah, 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 blah. And now here we are. I guess they figured it out. Um, but I, I'm glad or they figured out back. people made a workaround anyway, so they kept using their systems. They just couldn't read the files because they didn't have support for those particular file systems. But they, yeah. people still kept doing it. And there was also uh, an, a client that was created called uh, Maestral or Maestral. I'm not sure. And it was designed specifically to use uh, Dropbox with the file systems that you that they were trying not to allow, and it would still work. You just wouldn't use their client. So like the people were making workarounds to like so people were still doing it, and so it didn't really matter. Maybe yeah. they just kind of so gave up. For me, I've been using mega.nz for specifically files that Noah talked about that I don't care. There's nothing privacy. I'm going to distribute it anyways. I just want somewhere where there's free space that I could throw something up there at. And mega.nz is supported in Linux. They have applications and clients for Linux. They have a whole bunch of talk about how they encrypt and all this other stuff and security and privacy. But I've never done the research to check it out. And I don't put anything up there that I personally would care if anybody saw but that's what I've been using along with things like Firefox Send, which I absolutely love if I need to move files around. And of course, I have my free NAS system, thanks to Noah, uh, got that all set up. And that's what I use for all of my private information that I want to keep and back up and store. But, you know, MegaNZ is one that I've picked and I've had good success with. I just Dropbox, if you read their privacy policy, that's all you have to do to be like, nah, no thanks. Yeah, the, it's it's their, their policy is ridiculous. I mean, the... And as far as like uh, my, I don't really have like a syncing cloud thing that I do all the time. But if I am going to like Mike, share, you'd have to have data and storage available. Right, I have the data. It's just so not where having does the he storage. put all the selfies of his okay. hair? Okay, well, I have that's a terabyte. I, that's very. Those, I, those are very photos. important. Yes. Yeah, that's they, Google Photos. They have, no, they have their own rack down in the basement or whatever. And it's like it's <laughs> totally. Um, but the anyway, the the actual thing is like I don't really have. That much. I don't have to worry about syncing, but I do use Firefox Send when I, when I just want to send to something to somebody. Firefox Send is awesome. Uh, it makes it so much easier. You don't have to worry about like whether the file stored on there because after the you know time they download it, it's not stored in there anymore. 
So that's really cool. Uh, but I do want to, you know, just give some uh, acknowledgement to uh, an audience member of Destination Linux. Uh, was super awesome. And because they were ragging on me so much about my storage solutions and stuff, uh, they, did, they sent me this NAS right here, if you can look in the video version. Oh my gosh, he gets everything for free, Noah. I've never seen somebody. Hey, get, I, no, it's uh, because they care about the show so much, and it, they're so awesome. Like that's that's not a that's not a negative thing. That's a fantastic thing. We're just saying that we want to start complaining about stuff we need. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, that's you, all. You're just they're all just getting you really start like trolling each other. Radeon fifty seven hundred XT video card that came out. I really <laughs> would wish somebody would just send me one. Well, I just have to troll you about not having it, and maybe that'll work. <laughs> No, but that's awesome. You got what is that? A Synology NAS? Or uh, that... It's a Netgear NAS, Ready NAS. Okay, nice. So I mean, it's it's awesome that they were you know they sent it to me and like and by the way, it's ridiculous how heavy those things are. Like I didn't realize how ridiculously heavy those things are. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, now uh, the storage, we don't have to worry about it anymore. As soon as I hook it up, which is <laughs> wow, he still has me. <laughs> So we're going to have storage problems for the foreseeable future. That's what I heard. Is that what you heard, right? No, 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 because look at it way back there. You know he didn't spend time to run wires all the way back and around and through the wall. wires over there. No, what's going to happen is it'll be draped over the microphone. That's uh, right, yeah. Very cool. How long did he have the mic before he switched over? Because he had a new one for, what, more than a month? Oh, mic? At least took a month for him to switch. No, I switched this particular mic within, like, a week? I think it was one episode I had it and didn't use it. I think it's not no, so No, you sent bad. him that mic that still he hasn't hooked up, which is a fancier XLR mic. And what was that, three months ago? Longer. It was Way far longer, longer than three Way months longer. ago. However, however, I do believe he did tell me he needed a cable, and I didn't you send him the cable, right? right. There, there is some, it's yeah, not entirely on him. There's some things I don't have that I need. Like, I, I don't have an interface either. So like oh right that's there, what it was there's things you. there's things like as soon as I get it it'll, it'll I'll sit be in the back switching. of my car for a month but then I'll send it to you <laughs> yeah, exactly I'm gonna load that interface <laughs> give it a couple of years and it'll be up and running yeah, yeah. it'll it'll happen don't worry it'll right. happen the the we'll show will continue it just like it'll it'll continue at some point and it, I, we'll get the new equipment everything set up and everything it's just and ButterFS it, 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 it'll also be using ButterFS for sure yeah of course on the neck gear. <laughs> So Dash to Panel gets a major update here. Popular GNOME extension, which I absolutely love. I did not know this one existed until our Destination Linux Telegram chat posted this story in there. And I thought, ooh, another extension. Let's see what it does. And I love it. So Dash to Panel is an alternative to Dash to Dock. And now we have version 20 out. They've added a whole bunch of features in this. At the end of the day, it puts a reasonable, beautiful taskbar at the, well, you can put it anywhere you want, top, bottom sides of your screen, but I have it on the bottom where, you know, the last 30 years I've been using computers, that's where my taskbar has been, and that's where I want it, and I want to be able to see applications that are open and have an indicator telling me which applications are open, and it does all of that, and it looks beautiful and works in the theme, but they've added things like dynamic window preview sizing, so... If I hover over one of these different icons of what I have open, it gives me a nice preview at the bottom. And I can also preview what size or where it will be on the screen there. Uh, you have shortcuts added to show applications, context menus, ZFS file system support, um, option to disable tool tips. I don't think that ZFS file system support was in there when this thing came out, but um, <laughs> improved, improved telehide behavior. 
while in full screen and improved support for GNOME 3.32. So again, using GNOME lately um, in Pop! OS, this was one of the extensions to me that is a must-have. So dash to panel, definitely worth checking out. I mean, it doesn't not work with ZFS. <laughs> That's so funny because I was looking for the ButterFS thing to not say it, but then you changed it to ZFS. It was the perfect scroll. <laughs> it was literally the perfect scroll because the ZFS, I was like, what's that there before? I don't remember. <laughs> what does an extension have to do with ZFS file support? I mean, again, like I said, it doesn't not work on ZFS. If you have ZFS, the extension still works, so I guess it supports ZFS. <laughs> Genius, man. I, I Actually, I do like the, the dash to panel is a really cool uh, extension. Uh, the dash to dock was nice when it was first created, and it, it is still good, but I do like the, ten, the panel approach better. Uh, and I also like the way you can customize it. So, like, it can kind of essentially create a, a Unity interface, if you like that, so you can have the panel on the left side, so very similar to the Unity thing. And I do like the, the dash to panel is, is quite nice. Um, as, as far as, like, I haven't used it in a very long time because I haven't used GNOME in a while. But I do think that it's it's nice to see that they're improving the the workflow that people are liking, and and, and it makes it a lot easier for people to get used to using GNOME because if if they have a dash to panel, it's and they have the transition, then it's not such a huge jarring thing when they switch from Windows to Linux. So like I'm glad that it exists and everything. Um, how much have it like how much of a like of a traditional does it work like how well does it work as a traditional taskbar like the same way like people are used to in the like for the long time you know to me it it works fantastically as a traditional taskbar this is what i would be looking to have if i was going to stay on gnome is something that looks like this with mm-hmm. the tweaks and capabilities that this extension has built in by default so it actually allows me to do a lot of different things um you know to play with a lot of different settings to get it right for me. And one of the things that I think we both talked about not enjoying about the GNOME experience compared to, say, the KDE experience is the lack of customization, right? They basically say, this is how we think the best way for a workflow in Linux is going to be. And that is one of the big reasons people leave Windows at the end of the day, right? Mm. You have no customization capability. So I'm not a fan of that. Now, with extensions you can go in and add a bunch of things in there uh, to then go in and customize. So at least they have that opportunity for you and things like dash to panel. I mean, it has five tabs of tweaks and things from the sizes, to the icon margins, to the padding, to the running indicator positions, to focusing, opacity, overriding and gradient theming and different behaviors. If you want animations or not, ungrouping and grouping activities like they really went in here and added all of those settings to be able to make this panel your own and that to me is what's been missing in things like gnome for a while and so i love it um to me it makes it perfectly usable for me i know other people have gotten used to like wendy was talking about the gnome flow as is and they love it and they don't want anything changed but not for me. I need a couple of extensions and tweaks in there to make it work with my workflow. And this is my favorite extension by far uh, that I found so far. I know. I've never used no without extensions. I didn't, I've heard of a few, few people who do, but I don't know how you could actually get anything done and not yeah. have extensions. Yeah, I agree. You're talking this up so much. I'm really curious to throw up something with Gnome on it and give it a try. 
Yeah. Look what you've done, Ryan. Look at what you've done. <laughs> Michael's like, I converted her to KDE. That's where she needs to stay. No, I'll, I'll be staying on plasma. I just want to play with it. For a bit. See, there you go, Michael. That's okay then. She'll be back. <laughs> so we've got some uh, feedback from the past uh, few episodes uh, questioning our stance on Google and how we were talking about it. Like, you know, kind of how I was calling them grossal last episode. Which uh, was hilarious, by the way. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of Google or Grossel, uh, they, 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 you know, there's a lot of uh, pro, pro, uh, financial and code support they do for open source projects. So it's not like they are completely awful. They're just mostly awful. Um, so Wait, this, you're being preachy, Michael. Stop being preachy. I was not being preachy. I was being opinionated. We that, got feedback from like preachy stuff. Well, so. okay. Okay. I'll, I'll be a little more. No preachy. Just the facts. Chris, uh, there is a there's a research report that's published by the Digital Content Next, which we will link to in the show notes. So you know, check those out. And they cover they cover some of the the concerns that we've had about Google and everything. Uh, so this research was published in August of 2018, and around the time Facebook and the Cambridge Analytical scandal was was happening, uh, some of the some of the highlights are interesting because they're like uh, a dormant stationary Android phone with the Chrome browser activated in the background, communicated location information to Google 340 times during a 24-hour period, and at an average of 14 data connections per hour. In fact, location information constituted 35% of all the data samples sent to Google. So if you're wondering, does Google track your, your data and track your location? Yes. Yes, it does. Well, this, even, this is on top of news that people who were shutting off their location mm-hmm. data with Google, were also still being tracked. Yeah, they were, when they were pinging their like cell towers, that information was being sent back to Google and all kinds of stuff. Right. It's like it's it's kind of ridiculous how much the the like yes, Google does some things that are good. Is there anybody that's surprised by this though? The, some people are like promote or like there, there are still people who are fans of Android, and I think they would be surprised by it. I think there's a no, lot. I, like, of I, I mean, really, I, really, you re- like, really, there's really somebody out there that, like, I, 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 I'm asking this honestly. This is not a trolling question. There's really somebody out there that actually believes that when you turn the location tracking off on this phone, that Google has no idea where you are. That 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 information, like, there's there really are people, people who, who are out there that. there that really believe that Microsoft makes a good product of any kind of product. So, yeah. like, I would say that's definitely possible that people would think that Google are, you know, doing the best thing that they can. There are even people them. out there that don't like ButterFS. Exactly. Like, what's ridiculous? There's a lot of growth and expansion available for ButterFS. So there is more in this study. <sighs> <laughs> There's more in the study that I think will kind of add to some of the surprise. And, and yeah, no, I think people really did believe. On First of all, you have to remember that most of the population are not technically inclined like the crew here or the people in our chats that we set up that are Linux that are into privacy that understand what companies do behind. Yeah, I just I just feel like anybody that has heard the name Edward Snowden is like, oh yeah, they track stuff on your phone. Yeah, but yeah. they're like talking about the government, not necessarily Google, and they might be trusting Google. You know, because even though that Google was a part of the whole Gov- sending, where do, they, where do they think the government got the? Sorry, I'm I'm too smart to have this conversation. <laughs> where 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 do, where do, where do <laughs> these people think that? Where do these people think the government got this information? Well, I mean, they uh, think that they, they collect got it it themselves. Google. They think that they collect it themselves, which they also do that as well. It's like it's just like not near, not nearly to the like. Sure. No, really. No. Have you not seen NSA's data collection y- building? Yeah. No, I, I understand the data. <laughs> I understand they have their own data collection building. What I'm saying is, it fundamentally relies on the fact that Google collects all this location data and then they just suck it up. Like, sure, but the problem. I, 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 I think, think there's a lot of people who are not aware of any of this stuff that's happening. Apparently, 
Yeah. Well, there's a lot more that happens than then. It's, a lot, it's than also a lot of people are not aware that Butterfest is great. Yeah. So. <laughs> so a count me. For comparison's sake, a similar experiment in this study found an iOS device with Safari, but not Chrome. Google could not collect any appreciable data unless the user was interacting with the device. Moreover, an idle Android phone running the Chrome browser sends back to Google nearly 50 times as many data requests per hour as an idle iOS phone running Safari. An idle Android device communicates with Google nearly 10 times more frequently than an Apple device communicates with its Apple servers. Google has the ability... What information is being sent? Well, nobody truly knows the full extent of that, right? Because a lot of it is behind the scenes and you can't really decrypt what it is. Well, some companies can, but they're not the ones who want to actually share what it's sending in. I've seen certain reports, certain things in the background of users' location, their contacts, their affiliates, pictures, profiling, taking then taking those pictures further and profiling all the contacts each individual has, banking information. Google's even had admitted stuff. some of this stuff too. So, and I have to always be careful in these articles because I can only talk about what's out there in the news, but the reality is a lot of this stuff has been you know, occurring for long periods of time. And it's great to see that this stuff is finally breaking out into the news. And I think it's an important that everybody understands because I, I hear the whole Apple versus iPhone thing uh, or Apple versus iPhone, Apple versus Android argument constantly and talk about closed garden versus not closed garden. Um, people saying Apple's not, you know, they're trying to come out and say they're this privacy focused company, blah, blah, blah. And people are saying, well, there's proof out there that they're actually not. Um, and I agree, both are rotten, as we mentioned earlier. Both are not great choices, but I think there is one choice if you had to pick between the two that is more private than the other. And I think that shows up in court cases and other things that have happened recently. Um, but that doesn't mean they are private at all. Uh, I think this is shocking how much more data Google is sending back on phones that are just sitting there. Because keep in mind, in these tests, users were never using the phone. They were just sitting there idle. And so this is all the data that's being sent behind the scenes when you're doing nothing with your device. Um, Google has the ability to associate anonymous data collected through passive means with personal information of the user. Google makes this association largely through advertising technologies, many of which Google controls. Advertising identifiers, which are purposefully user anonymous and collect activity data on apps and third-party web page visits, can get associated with the user's real Google identity through passing of device-level identification information to Google servers by an Android device. So all of this, there's more and more that goes into this. I highly recommend you read the study. But all of this certainly proves one thing, that the Google infrastructure, we can say all we want, the numbers say, yay, it helps. You know, We can throw out fancy numbers for Linux to say, look how many people use Linux, they use their Android. But Google Android provides nothing that we expect the same things we expect from our desktop operating system at all. Right. And you certainly by utilizing their devices are giving up on a lot of your privacy. Yeah. I mean, basically both of them are terrible choices and one of them's, you know, more privacy horrible and the other one's more locked down horrible. So like whichever one you pick, there's, it's not a good decision because there is no good decision. Um, but it is kind of OS may be the best. Yeah. Option. If you could, if you got an Android phone and it supported lineage or E, I guess you could, uh, slash E slash whatever, uh, you could, uh, replace those with that and it would be a much better experience in that sense. Uh, and also you could get F droid. As far as stuff. we know, it's a better experience, right? Cause we, we, well, we 
As far as lineage, for sure, there has been some tests that shows that lineage does not send stuff back to themselves unless you sign up for the thing to do that, and it's and it's that one's a voluntary thing. Um, yeah. So like that, that's 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 definitely worth uh, checking out if you if you have an Android phone, especially if you have one that's supported by lineage. It is you know it's not for everybody because it doesn't require you to unlock the bootloader and all that stuff. Uh, but it is kind of funny because people would argue like, well, some of the data that they're sending back is useful, and you would say, well, okay, like an example would be. Uh, you know the amount of data that they send back uh, from Google side might also show why Google Maps is actually usable and Apple Maps is garbage. So like yeah. maybe that's a, an argument that people can make. Uh, but either way, I mean the the fact that they're doing so much with you're not even touching the phone. Like I can understand if you have your location set up and you're using the maps and it has to track your location because that's how the GPS works. But at the same time, when you turn off your location, you're still being tracked. And that's just completely ridiculous. So, Yeah, uh, and Noah, you're right. It's like you can't believe people trust this stuff. I can't believe corporations get away with telling people one thing in their terms of service or making something appear that it does one thing and, in fact, doesn't actually do that thing. And people just excuse it and go, well, I like Android more because they have an open infrastructure and support Linux, so I'm going to still use it. Anybody Anybody else saying that, I would agree. And I would be like, yeah, I can understand why that's shocking. But, like, you work in corporate America. So, like, you deal with this kind of stuff. Like, I mean, you know, as well as I know, that most of these businesses, like Google, has an entire department of people, and their whole function in life is to find ways to craft EULAs to let Google do what they want but not spook users. Like, there's a person for that. Not just a person. There's probably a whole department that does nothing more but sits and, like, reads fine little lines and comes up with careful phraseology and words and terms Mm -hmm. and stuff. They probably, I mean, like, so much of human behavior is codified to the point that the important clause is buried at a very specific point in the EULA because that's the least likely place for people to read. They'll get tired. You know, like, all that stuff is to take into account. So, to me, it's never really any surprise to wake up and go, oh yeah, they were doing some bad stuff. Like if you think they're doing it, it's probably worse. That was certainly true with Amazon Alexa. Now we know it's true with Google. Yeah. But like, I, I don't. I, I guess given all of the information that was leaked in the Snowden reports, like I guess I'm kind of surprised we're still questioning this. But I guess we are. Well, so, no, we're not I questioning guess. it. We're just conf- we're just showing that, like, that here's the confirmation. I mean, I guess there's still people that use ButterFS. So, I mean, I understand <laughs> the world is a complicated place. You just need to you just need to think about the growth and expansion opportunities. Like, right of Google to collect data. Absolutely, yeah. I think growth and expansion of data collection. Yeah, I mean, I probably get an email a week uh, in Destination Linux talking about. I can't believe you support Apple and blah 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 because right. nobody yeah, me either. opens their list, their ears, and listens. Well, first of all, uh, being in the business I'm in, I can't. There, there's no fandom here because I have to literally carry both. Uh, well, that's I good. I have that's Android really... and iPhone, so I'm double tracked everywhere. That is brilliant. I don't have yeah. a choice but to use Red Hat. I work as a Red Hat consultant. <laughs> exactly. That's my job. There you go. I, so, it's not fanboyism. I, I just like I just have to use I Red use Hat. Both and good file uh, systems and, like the uh, uh, Whatever. No. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, but you were onto a good point though. No, but you actually you you're required by your job to actually have to use the devices and what it does is it gives you a keen insight into what each of these companies are doing and how they're moving forward, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, the the point is that both of these options are crap options out there and I want to make people aware of it because I see more people fighting for the Google thing because it does run on Linux and the message I guess that I want to get out there is that it doesn't represent any of the ideals and things that we expect from Linux at all, other than the fact that the underlying kernel before they throw all their crap on it is Linux. That's the only thing Linux about Android. 
nothing else there is really for something that we should be supporting in any form or fashion. I mean, I get people have to use it. I get Android's cheaper. Number one, you can you don't have to spend ridiculous amounts for it. I get why I use it, but I think we all have to realize that these two options are not something anybody should be going out okay. and promoting. I, I tell you what, t- answer me this, and I will go out and buy an iPhone 10 tomorrow. True, honest challenge, okay? Uh-huh. Tell me that Tell me that Apple doesn't have a motivation to bring me into Apple's ecosystem with MacBooks and and desktop PCs and tell me that I'm wrong when I say that Google just cares that you use Android phone. They don't as long as you're using Google services, they don't care if it's on a Linux machine or on a Chromebook or whatever. They just really want you on their service whereas Apple wants you to buy they want you to bring deer into their, their ecosystem so you buy more of their products. Yeah, Tell me I'm wrong about that. You're, you're not wrong. And that's not my point, though. I don't want people going to Apple. That, that's that's right. not the point is to say go to Apple. I'm saying if you have a brand new phone and you're going to choose it, 20 years of experience behind the scenes, watching the two companies work with all the telecoms out there, understanding a lot of this stuff well before it ever broke in the news. Apple has proven that they are more private, but they're still not private. Right. So it's you're, you're taking one's a rotten apple and one's a rotten apple with maggots on it. And that's your Google versus <laughs> Apple comparison. So I the first thing we've agreed on all day. Yeah. So to me, well, that's I mean, that's the that. point I try to make. Lineage is where people should go rooting your devices, trying to use something like that. But when we walk around the conferences, Noah, I don't see lineage everywhere. I don't see Ubuntu. Phone. That's true. I see stock Android yep. everywhere. Yep. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Sorry, Wendy, you had something to add? Well, inside that. Android system, there are different companies like Motorola. They provide a lot of their phones. You can unlock the loader and are very keen on allowing you to fix your own devices. So there are companies with inside that ecosystem that are also better that you can support that say, hey, yeah, you know, we're going to, you're not going to have a warranty from us because you're now messing with the software, but we're allowing you to unlock it. Here's the code to unlock it. Oh, your device broke. Here, from this company, you can buy this stuff and have it fixed. So there are little gems inside that community. I agree. Another one that does that. Yep. The golden maggot. (laughs) The golden maggot. No, I think that's a perfect thing to say because there are a lot of companies that support and will freely provide you. They tell you right up front, HTC does this, Motorola does this, that, hey, you're going to lose your warranty when you do this, but here's the codes to unlock your bootloader. In fact, here's software to help you do it. Um, so I think that that is something that people should be looking for. And those are the type of things we should be talking about in the Linux community. We shouldn't be talking about using iPhone over Android or these things. We should be talking about what are the alternatives out there because both of them are crap. Uh, they're terrible for privacy. They're terrible for security and all the work that each individual one of us has done through the years to switch our desktops to Linux and to fight for, you know, having privacy and all of that, we probably have a thousand times more private data sitting on our phones than we ever would on our desktop. I would say that would represent, in my opinion, the vast majority of people out there probably are taking more sensitive pictures, probably putting more sensitive information, have connections to their banks and everything else on their phones. And you're losing all of that privacy you thought you gained by utilizing one of these choices here. I mean, Apple was just in the news this week about talking about the fact that their Siri recordings are, you know, being heard by live people just like Google and Alexa. So 
there aren't good options. They're both terrible. One happens to be a little less terrible, but they're both terrible. The option really is find devices, manufacturers, and hardware, like root your device. You're losing all the privacy gains you have by using Google, Android, or iOS for that matter. Right. And also, like Google, when people like promote about Android is better because it's Linux based, it's like technically, yes. But also, they're trying to get away from Linux anyway with their Fuchsia OS that doesn't even use Linux in the back end. So by promoting Android, you're also kind of... Um, you know, promoting the fact that they're going to drop Linux anyway. So it's not really to me. It's never been about the actual Android, like the, the phone that I get. It's not like I go pick up my phone from AT&T or Verizon or T-Mobile or whatever and, and take it and, and put it in my pocket and go, look, now I have Linux in my pocket. That's to me. That's not what it's about. It's it's when I look at the when I take a step back and look at the 30,000 foot view from way back on top. Here's what I see. I see two organizations and one organization is the there is a bunch of hardware manufacturers and they all make their own various takes on phones. And then there's a software manufacturer that works with the hardware manufacturer to bundle a given phone with a given piece of software. Now, the hardware is not necessarily built specifically for that software platform. It's You can run other things on it. It's just that that's the software platform that is most dominant. And so they have negotiated the business relationship to, to provide that device. And then over here on this other camp, I see this company who designs one phone with one purpose, with one operating system that they control yeah, on but- their ecosystem, and they put it on there and then they ship. And when I, when I, when I think back of to how I grew up in the early 90s, Gosh, if that isn't a if that isn't a throwback to the way we were with the iMacs and the iBooks and the and the and and the iBooks or whatever the other laptop that Apple made, I can't the PowerBook, uh, the PowerBooks and PCs. Like you have PCs where you had Windows ninety five and Windows ninety eight, and you had Linux and you had Solaris and you had all these things that are running on x eighty six. And then you have this thing over here where it's just Apple's vision and that's all you get. And it's ve- and so it's very difficult to me to see a time where iPhone is going to become an open source phone. But I can see how Android is going to become an open source phone or the Moto X or the Samsungs are going to become open source phones. And that somebody is eventually going to write a third party operating system that's going to take off. That my mind can see. And so... For me, it's not so much about Android versus iOS. It's about ecosystems and potential for each of those ecosystems and which one has a higher potential. Sure, but I'm saying like the Google is going to replace the current ecosystem anyway. That's what their goal is with Fuchsia. Maybe. And yeah. at the same time, you could say that, you know, uh, with Google, like you, you do know that they're, they're yes, they're, they're, they're tracking everything. And you do know that, yep. that, that Google is not necessarily doing it to the level degree that Apple's doing it, but they are still doing it. You know, they, they announced. Do you, I don't understand. What do you mean they're? They announced Google Stadia, and they were like, "Hey, this service right. is going to work on your phone if you have a Google Pixel, and yeah. only if you yeah, have but, a Google but, Pixel." But here's they're the thing. still locking but, but, people but, into but certain aspects. You're, you're you're proving my point. That means that Motorola and Samsung and uh, LG and all of these other companies, the OnePlus series, are all going to be looking for alternative operating systems to put on their phone. OnePlus and, already has one, actually. But again, you're proving my point. So the the Android ecosystem as a whole has a greater potential to reach a privacy-centric ownership of the phone open source operating system than Apple does. They, uh, yes, there's more likelihood in the future that they're going to mm-hmm. it, but right now... Yeah, because there's 0% you know, chance that that ever happens with iPhones. Zero. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. But if you're going out there and purchasing a new phone, perhaps you have to lease one of the things. We have to be realistic with what it is today. I think you make a very great case there, Noah, to say I support Android because of the possibility that somebody could spin off and do this, and there is zero possibility you could do that with iOS, and you're absolutely correct. 
I think the idea of the walled garden thing in our current state, though, is a little bit of insanity. I find Google to be extremely walled garden, especially when I have apps that I literally cannot remove off of my device. Yeah. Reinstalled unless I root the device itself, things like that. To me, that's that's walled garden 101, at least on my Apple phone. I don't have Facebook stuck on there no matter what I do. Like, yeah, you know, you say that, Apple you say that, you say that, stuff. but you're just, I was just going to say, but you do have. But I would rather have Apple software than Facebook. Facebook's the biggest privacy impacting, you know, company you out it. there. You the sign into it. What's well, that? It's still, it's, sign into it. it's still there running in your background, even if it's not actually running, it's still yeah. running. Is it? Yeah, still runs like in the not. background. Now, you, if you, you have a stock it, Google device, yeah, I was gonna say, I, th- I thought you can so. disable it, and some it still phones, runs in the background. and it still runs in the background. And some phones use the term "disable" to be disabling updates, but it's still actually working in the background, or like, it simply just hides the icon on because your phone. So there, Android there is so ridiculous of, in there. Well, the way they describe things and the way they actually run stuff in the background, it's like you know, whatever you you whatever you disable, it might be disabled, it might not, depending on the manufacturer or whatever version they have of Android. Another yeah. reason to run custom ROMs. There you go. I think yeah. that's the answer, and that's what I wanted to get out there, is people should be looking at the custom ROM option for their Android devices, and I think that's the best thing we have until, as Noah said, that third player comes out and maybe does something with an Android that makes it truly Linux. IBM is in the news again, and this is really exciting. They have some developed some tools that are helping people fight cancer, and they have open-sourced them. It's nice that they are, instead of holding this technology, they are going with the wonderful, yes, Red Hat is really rubbing on them and sharing the stuff that they have developed with other people. I see you gloating and up there, Noah. I'm just saying Red Hat cured cancer. <laughs> what about our FS do this week? That's awesome. <laughs> but even more awesome, this, this technology isn't old. This is technology that they have recently developed, that they're currently developing so in this release, there are three awesome tools. Pac-Man, which uses deep learning algorithms to predict whether compounds are viable for an anti-cancer drug. Then the second one, which is called Interact, searches through the medical journal information to help provide stuff for the research. And the last one, P-I-M-K-L, which helps tailor treatments for specific patients, which that one to me is one of the most amazing. Yeah. Every single person's body is different. And now we have the software that helps target this individual person with the background of the research and the compounds and helping to make a tailored treatment for that individual. This is absolutely amazing. This is the type of thing that turns people into fanboys, Noah, of IBM and Red Hat, but it's deserved right um, here because Obviously, IBM could make tons of money of taking software like this, licensing it out to all the various research labs and scientists, charging obscene amounts of money to have access to it, probably charge on a monthly basis per license, per you know um, algorithm run through their machines. But instead, they decide, hey, this isn't something we should be trying to make money off of. Let's take these three tools that work all together, all three tools. This is new. This isn't some 20-year-old technology, as Wendy mentioned, that they're just releasing because it's so old and boring. Nobody cares about it anyways, and they're letting everybody have access to it to be able to try and find a cure or at least create better treatments for cancer. And that's huge. That's incredible. That's what makes me a fan of companies. Yeah. The fact that they're doing this and putting the effort in to make uh, you know, 
there's a lot of like that you're saying about that people shouldn't be profiting off of that that kind of like people's health and that i think that's the sad thing is that there are so many companies in this country that uh, are so you know fundamentally built on profiting on people's health and you know the lack of health that they don't even put it, that they'll have they'll purchase specific types of uh, medicine and then skyrocket the prices because it's a medicine that people have to get and that kind of thing and ibm's doing the exact opposite where they're developing brand new software and then making it open source because they're just wanting to help people who need the help and that's awesome and uh, they say that that they and about the release, that IBM says our goal is to deepen our understanding of cancer to equip industries and the academia with a, with the knowledge that could potentially be one day to fuel new treatments and therapies, and that's awesome because that's what people should be doing, and you know people should be helping everybody else, you know, because the the one of the things that's the hardest thing for medic, um, doctors to fight is cancer, and any time. You know, someone builds something that makes it possible to do it. It's awesome that they're actually doing it to help, and they're not just doing it to make money. I mean, think about it this way: there's a news story that hit this morning that I saw about a two-year-old who the parents are trying to get a special treatment for because they have a muscular dystrophy disorder that's a, a rare disorder, but basically the disease keeps destroying motor neurons, um, so the child keeps losing as time goes on, more and more functionality of their body. And the parents, there is a treatment for this, except it costs $2.1 million. And the insurance companies have completely refused to pay for it. So it's amazing to me that companies out there could even sleep at night, not giving this child this treatment and figuring it out later. Um, And this happens time and time again. We hear stories like this out there this type of open sourcing, this type of, you know, human, humane gestures uh, are so important for humanity to move forward um, and be able to create treatments and things and get people the health that they need. In these certain situations, you know, money comes second. That's how it should be. We know that's not the case, but IBM doing things like this, I hope it continues. I hope more companies decide to do things like this because it's, it's just important and it makes me a fan of them. All right, so on to some gaming news here. So Ubisoft has become a gold supporter of Blender. Blender, to me, is a vitally important tool in the open source ecosystem. Uh, It provides professional 3D computer graphics, software tool sets for creating animated films, visual effects, art, 3D printed models, interactive 3D applications. You can even build video games in it with its video game engine. It is just an all-around great tool. But unlike a lot of Swiss Army Knife tools, this one actually is pretty good in every single element I just named there. Uh, I've actually video uh, edited my videos in this tool before in the past. Um, I've also done uh, videos with my brother who develops games, uh, doing game design within Blender and 3D modeling there on my channel. I've seen Blender be used for all these applications. It's completely open source, and you're able to basically move it into any OS that you're using, whether Windows, Linux, doesn't matter. So it's just a beautiful tool. And I love seeing uh, other companies come out there and support it, especially ones with big pockets out there. So Ubisoft has become a gold member of the Blender Foundation. And on top of that, they're signing developers to assist with the open source project. So they're not just handing them a bunch of money, but they're also taking some of their developers in their team to help contribute to the development of Blender to make it better. 
So that makes me kind of a little more fan of Ubisoft than I've been in the past. And they have some pretty cool IPs out there. So I figured I'd give them a shout out for this move. Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, which is really cool. Uh, Raymond and many other AAA titles that this studio creates. So this is not a situation where it's some small indie studio that you know doesn't have a lot of games or backing. This is a massive studio out there that's created many massive hits um, that is out there to support Blender. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean it's it's really awesome that they're doing it, and there's a lot of pro, uh, a lot of different companies that are putting a lot more stuff into Blender, and that's awesome because Blender is one of those, you know, one of those applications that have like kind of not necessarily created a path for openness, but they are one of the uh, projects that was like in the like early stages, like the ground floor of being open. Like they had. Uh, they were had it like in the uh, they started basically being open in the early 90s i'm pretty sure like before open source was even a term like blender was open and blender's been around since the mid 80s building you know a, a very powerful piece of software and that's one of the reasons why it's so good and uh it's it does so many things and does them so well is because they've been around for so long and they've had so many developers and they've had so and they've been so open the entire time well not the entire time but most of the time uh that that they are uh, you know, benefiting for that, the ecosystem, they're like the proof positive of the open source concept. You know, Linux is also mm-hmm. part of it too, but it doesn't have to be a system that's open. It could be even just software that's open. So it's really awesome that Ubisoft is doing that. I was curious how much this actually was. So you look, I looked into the the packages for the corporate and it's like $30,000 a year in, or 30,000 euros Whoa. or something like that. Big. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's pretty cool that, you know, companies are doing that. And there's actually, if you go to their corporate membership page or the foundation, there's actually a lot of companies that are, you know, participating in, you know, helping out uh, Blender, which is awesome because, you know, Blender is one of those pieces of software that is vital in so many aspects, like whether it's mo- creating movies or videos or video editing or doing animations for, you know, like uh, games and all kinds of stuff. So it's awesome. And, uh, you know, thanks to Ubisoft for doing that. And, uh, also, kind of thanks to Epic Games for doing the similar what, thing. What was that, Michael, huh? I said kind of thanks to Epic Games for doing <laughs> similar things. There's a little mumbly there, some static I, coming through the mic. Unfortunately, but. Epic Games is doing something pretty much the similar, except they're giving more money, which is cool. And, but Epic Games also is terrible in other ways. So, very hesitantly thanking them for doing the work that they're doing for help or giving the money for donations to blender as well. So, you know, it was yeah. very big of you, Michael. <clears throat> yeah, sure. So valve has actually sold out of their new VR headset, the index, which is pretty awesome. I mean, the, I have uh, the, the idea that they've selling out like so quickly because people on this episode, uh, this uh, show has said, is it really that interesting because of how much expense it is? Is it really going to be? Yes, apparently people do want it and they're now back in stock. Okay, if you- I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, can, uh, just sorry. Are, is it really that expensive? Like $9.99 is not that much. That was what the HTC Vive was when it came out. Yeah, but they've they've know. since you know I, I was talking more about that episode during that episode about mass adoption of VR and I think mm-hmm. nine hundred ninety nine dollars on top of a console I'm sorry not a console in this case on you top still of need a, a big computer for pretty it. heavy ask I mean it's yeah. it's a lot but you're right I mean honestly uh, all <laughs> of them are pretty pricey here and the nine ninety nine comes with the controllers the headset the the receivers the whole. Yep. The whole nine yards. So you're right. I mean, maybe it is reasonable. I think for mass adoption, eventually you're going to have to get that price 
down some more. But then again, I was wrong about that when it came to PlayStation VR because their headset and console is probably about the price of this here, right? You get the console and the VR headset, and I haven't heard it really going gangbusters. I see them in stock everywhere I go, and I don't personally know a single person that owns one. So I don't know that any of these have been ultra successful from a mass market standpoint, but certainly Valve selling out of all the stock they have shows that uh, I was wrong about the 999 price point. Well, I wonder how much stock they actually had in the first place because this article doesn't doesn't really say how much they had. So maybe they they knew that because based on the PlayStation, the PlayStation didn't had like so much in stock that they didn't have to do as much. So they just kind of like they put a smaller number out at the beginning. So like, it sounds better that they sell, they sold out or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but it, I, it is, it is going to be expensive because the thousand dollars is not necessarily that expensive to have all the stuff built into it. But you also have to have a computer that has a significantly powerful graphics card and processor in order to do it. So you need to have at least a dual core CPU. You need to at least have an NVIDIA uh, set 9670 or an RTX or an RX 480 from AMD. So you still have to have a pretty beefy computer in order to have it. So you're looking at least like, you know, I don't know, $800 uh, for the for the hardware for the computer plus the $1,000 for the thing. So it's almost $2,000 depending on what what hardware you get set up. So it's still a pretty expensive if you don't already have a computer to do it. Yeah, I was pretty excited about this news, honestly, because Noah, I thought about your speaker that you, you're developing and, and, and selling out there. And I remember talking to you about, you know, how are you preparing to get how much stock you have and all of that. And I know your big plan really in, in a lot of businesses this way is you at least in your first shipment need to recoup the cost that you have of all the research development and things that go in. That's what right. your, your goal is. Yep. To me, I'm sure Valve runs. The Actually, same. to be clear, <laughs> I, I, about three and a half years ago, I long gave up trying to get back my R and D cost. But if I can get, if I can break even on the initial order for equipment, we'll consider that a win for production run one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I just, when I look at this, <clears throat> it doesn't seem like they are pricing outside of the market. In fact, it looks like I went to, I was, while you were chatting, I, I went over to um, the index page on Valve site. And of course, first off, it's super exciting that they advertise that they support Windows 10, Steam OS, and Linux. But, Linux. Uh, apart, but for, apart from that though, they have the main thing that you get, which comes with all, the whole package for $9.99. But then they also have the Valve index headset and controllers um, for $7.49. So there is, and I'm, I, I would guess that those controllers don't come with the little uh, room sensor things. And right. so, you know, but still you can get into VR for $749. And so what you're getting is Linux is a first class citizen. It's made by a gaming company who has some who has some clout and some recognition in the community. So Valve says, hey, here is the VR system. A lot of game manufacturers are likely to say, oh, we want to support that thing because it's made by Valve. Whereas, you know, HTC, I guess, kind of got lucky. I mean, their cell phone company that made a VR thing, right? So it, that, it, it's, it's, a little, it's a little more strange, I guess, there. But I feel like there's a lot of clout when it comes to, when it comes to Valve doing something. So they have that. And then it's actually a lower entry price than, than the HTC Vive was. So if it has even, even the same experience, and I think it stands to reason it's probably better, but even if it has the same experience, I think it would be worth it. And I was looking at the, the, uh, the specs are really not all that terribly expensive. I mean, you could put a VR machine together for easily under 1500 bucks. Oh, yeah. Well, cheaper than that. I honestly think you could, if you built your own machine, probably pick one up 
you could build a machine probably between the four and six hundred dollar range with the specs that they're asking for here uh if you were frugal enough but you're going to probably have a not as good as experience obviously the better the equipment and a lot of issues with vr i know happens to be around frames per second um if it's if it's slow it can give you that sick feeling and the refresh rates and things but this device specifically they have focused a lot on fixing a lot of those dizzy sick feelings by being able to um uh, the way the eyesight, I guess, adjustments are within the headset, the refresh rates that they're utilizing, they focused heavily on fixing the first round of issues that happened with the HTC Vive and other ones out there. So you're getting a lot more, I think, with this new device. And the reason they have a kit that sells without sensors is because it still connects to the, I think it's the Vive's old sensors. So if you still have those, you don't have to rebuy the sensors again, yeah, it is the vibe stuff. Um, which does save you some money there. And yeah, I agree with you. I'm a hundred percent behind what valve and steam does because they've been a hundred percent behind Linux, even just recently the work they did with AMD and supporting mm-hmm. AMD and releasing new shaders to increase the performance there for Linux. They're just doing a lot of great things in First of all, we wouldn't even really have a gaming platform and the capabilities without them on Linux. But there's a couple top-selling games, the ones for anybody who can afford one. And I know, Noah, you've talked at times about picking up a VR headset, so I hope if you do, you grab no, it. I, here's the thing. I'm, I think I'm beyond talking about picking up a VR headset. Like I am sold on building a VR system at some point. Uh, in fact, it turns out the motherboard and the processor showed up earlier this week, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I. But yeah, I mean, do you think that the motherboard and, and processor I bought? Do you think that would be a? I mean, oh, it would, would it run this like, yeah, uh, like cake. It yeah. would be perfect. And also, there's a game in the top selling list that you might be interested in trying out the VR version. That's Race the Sun. Yeah, that's a VR thing, really. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the games oh are keep, keep talking and nobody explodes, which is an amazingly fun game. If you've not seen it play, you basically it's a multiplayer game. And one person has a manual of how to defuse the bomb and the other person does not. They're in front of the bomb and they have to describe for you what's on the bomb and you have to read back because you can't see it exactly what they need to do, cut certain wires or do whatever. And it's just a really fun kind of game to play. A lot of people do it on Twitch and other things to play with their audience. Um, really fun game, kind of creating a teamwork environment. There's Tenertia, Ballistic NG, Tabletop Simulator. So kind of a D&D or any other tabletop type game simulation. If you one of those who've played those games in the past, but all your friends have moved to different areas or you need a different group from around the world, now you can do that in a simulator so it looks like you're actually there rolling dice with your friends and things along those lines. There's Rise of the Tomb Raider, Payday 2, X-Plane 11. So a lot of cool games that support Linux, and those are the top-selling VR ones right now that are available for Linux. So we're seeing a lot of support come out there. There's also a lot of games that aren't available for Linux that I would love to play in the VR world, but maybe they work on Proton through this. I'm not sure. Well, the the the, the, the Valve Index is great. I mean, the, the fact that they're making this is, is awesome because they, they learned what the, they had a partnership with HTC and that's why HTC got, they didn't really get lucky. Valve helped them build this and uh, like they, they showed that they gave them the platform and everything. And then HTC decided to go in like a different direction and Valve's like, okay, well, we'll do, we'll make our yeah, own but, now. But what I'm saying is like each, a cell phone company got lucky that Valve was interested in backing them. You know that's, what I mean? That's true. That's a good point. And it, it is, it is interesting, especially, you know, cause the Valve is like this, 
this this weird company that people you know give them a hard time for doing like being a part of the proprietary aspects of stuff like in the ecosystem of the Linux ecosystem they give them like well these games are proprietary and their clients are proprietary and all this other stuff it's like yes that's true but at the same time without them there would be no Linux gaming like pretty much at all like there would be Super Tux Cart and there would be things like that but the vast majority of the games like we have like thousands, like 5,000 or 6,000 games that are available to us with Valve. And without Valve, we had 20. So, I mean, even if the, the Valve is not doing like like the outright everything of open sourcing, everything or whatever, they're still supporting the platform. And I think the platform should be, you know, think, you know, be receptive to that and be supporting them as well. So, I mean, I think it's pretty cool that they're doing this, this, uh, this uh, VR thing because I think VR is awesome. Uh, I I got to use like you know one of those uh, you know the Google Cardboard type things where it was like using your phone to do it, That's, and it's not I mean, VR I know, but it's like the first. It is. It's yeah. it's not technically like the full experience, but it's like it's still an interesting thing, and as you can see the potential of what it is, and have a company let me, let me like tell you something. backing it. it. it uh, as a person who used the HTC Vive, let me let me just tell you, it goes from. That's an interesting experience to holy crap, this is going to take off the world and society as we know it is going to come to a catastrophic end. Uh, <laughs> because seriously, like yeah. you can really get into as a person who's remodeling his house. I think I've told this story before. You can really, it's really hard to ignore the fact that you can put these $900 goggles on and all of a sudden I remodeled my house. Like I have our home theater, my living room is fixed, my kitchen is fixed. Like I can virtually explore my entire house in VR to include ordering dominoes that actually shows up at my door. That's pretty cool. So what you're saying is if you were going to do an expansion on your home or you want to see what a new TV looks like or a new couch or sofa or whatever, you can explore that in the VR headset, walk around, feel what it would be like to actually, you know, have that. I'm saying I'm saying that's the healthy way to go about it. I'm saying what I'm afraid of is the unhealthy portion is going to be you're going to wind up with useless bums that are all scattered around the entire world that never leave their couch because that's their their real life exists in a fake world. Right. So, and I can I, as a functioning male adult, can see how I would wind up there and be like, that's great. Why would I ever want to leave that? Yeah. So uh, that's a good pitch for anybody who wants to get a valve index. So <laughs> this week's softer spotlight comes from listener John. He writes and says, hello. In a recent episode, Noah mentioned MS Project. I don't remember anyone pointing out that with Project Libra. We have a very good project management tool on Linux. I use it myself and was able to introduce it into my place of work. I'm sure you guys know about Project Libra. Actually, I didn't. I had to Google. <clears throat> but I thought it was worth bringing to the listeners' attention. So project Libra is a project management tool recommended by the French government for government ministries that use Linux. Be free, save the planet, use Linux, and increase your freedom and life expectancy of your computer. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the work you do, especially Michael, John. And uh, so what's interesting about Project Libra is I was completely unaware of this. So I was actually really excited to, uh, to, to check it out. Now, the truth is I don't do a lot of project management stuff and the project management stuff I do do because I'm that guy. I'm like, here's what we're going to do. I know how to use Kodi MD, so we're going to use Kodi MD. They're like, well, that's go. not the best tool for the job. I don't care. I know how to use Kodi MD. So we're going to use Cody MD, right? So, but I'm going to check out Project Libra. I'm going to take a look at it. And the, the next project that we have to do, we're probably going to try it out in Project Libra and see, and see how that stacks up. It's interesting because when you Google MS Project Alternatives, the, <laughs> Project Libra actually doesn't come up. Like you have to kind of know to look for it. So, hmm. uh, John, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a miss on our part not to, uh, not to mention this. This is 
very, very cool. Yeah, and it's got compatibility with Microsoft Project, so you can open up other files if you're sent a file from Microsoft Project within this tool. It has Gantt charts, network diagrams, WBS, RBS charts, earned value costing, resource histograms. So it's got a ton of tools in this. So if you're looking for that project alternative, this looks like an incredible one to try out. So another th- another company that also does some really good stuff for like gaming S area and Linux is Feral Interactive, and they've actually created the game mode, which is our tip and trick of the week. So if you want to enable game mode, it gives you better performance for very particular games, and also in some games it's not necessarily required, but some games actually build it into for the functionality to make it even better, so you don't have to install the game mode. But others you could test out and try to see if you can improve your experience as well. But Feral Interactive has tool has the game mode tool, which can be used to increase the performance of certain Feral release ports of games, such as Rise of the Tomb Raider, Total War Saga, Total War Warhammer Two. Dirt 4, and Total War 3 Kingdoms. The tool also makes uh, certain tweaks for both AMD and NVIDIA GPUs to enhance performance, including a GPU governor, or CPU governor, sorry, an I.O. priority, a process, uh, improving the process performance, kernel scheduler, screensaver inhibiting, which is really nice because a lot of times you're, oh, playing, yeah. Yeah, you're playing a game and all of a sudden your screensaver just like jumps in your face. Uh, GPU performance modes and also GPU overclocking for NVIDIA and uh, the custom scripts that allows you to uh, modify and, and like load up certain variables for depending on like what, what your game, kind of game you're running and everything. So it's pretty cool. And also the project is available out there on GitHub. So if you wanted to check it out, you can look at some of their tweaks that they're making and they, like submit uh, you know uh, bug reports and issues and things to co- collaborate as well as like exper- your experience using it. So this is a really cool thing uh, that that uh, Veril is doing. And uh, I've used it a little bit on the Rise of the Tomb Raider, and it does it does change the performance oh, yeah. of the game. It definitely boosts the performance. This is something I recommend people play with. I would love to see the ability to take some of this work that they're doing and somebody move that into a tool. Maybe there is one out there. If there is, let me know where you could basically turn off this IO prioritization and the scheduling and the GPU performance to its max settings regardless of what game that you are trying to run in here. But for the games that I've tried this on, it has done an incredible, probably a jump of, you know, anywhere between 10 and 15% in performance um, in the game. So I just recently purchased Dirt 4 to try it with that. And I can't wait to try it out, but it's very simple to do. You basically download this and then you execute a command right before the game command to launch it. And it basically launches it within, with these, um, enhancements engaged. So it's not difficult to do and definitely something fun to see uh, your system get some more performance out of it in Linux. All right. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening however you do it. We love our patrons and Kofi supporters. That's right. Kofi. Noah. just want to give a special shout out for all of your support. We do a live show for patrons, so come join us if you want to be a part of the show, and you can join for just $1. That's right. We're now on Coffee as a way that you can support the show. Coffee offers a nice ZFS monthly supported option that will allow you to have the same perks as Patreon. Now, there'll be a link in the show notes and on the website to join Coffee. The perks include things like access to the live shows, unedited versions of the shows, as well as our most sincere gratitude for picking the option that delivers the show to you without corrupting data. Yeah, and and also, by being a patron, you're also helping us focus on growth and expansion of the podcast. There you go. Please get back to us and let us know what you think or ask any burning questions via numerous methods. 
email comments at destinationlinux.org, our Telegram group, Discord, Twitter, Mastodon, and other ways you can find us at our website, destinationlinux.org slash contacts. Please keep the comments and questions coming. We love to read them and hear ways that we might improve the show. Also, if you want more content, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have a focus on growth and expansion of our own channels. At uh, You can go to youtube.com slash doskeet to check out Ryan's content where he fills your brains with on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can check out Zeb's content, youtube.com slash zebedeeboss. You can find him driving, driving at crazy speeds, moving aside caravans get, that get in his way. You can check out Wendy's content at wendyhillphoto.com where she has awesome, uh, very lots of like really great photography photos and everything. Uh, that's redundant to photography photos. But anyway, you can check out my content and go into tuxdigital.com where you can go to check out the the Linux the weekly Linux news podcast this week in Linux and also other Linux related content and you can go to Noah's where for some reason he wants me to say freenest.org slash ZFS uh, <laughs> but you can check out asknoahshow.com where you can check out his weekly talk radio show at 6pm central on Tuesdays to join him and ask him questions about coffee and why he loves Butterfest and everything and how he can help how he can help you uh, focus on growth and expansion for your project. <laughs> and, Take your cancer with Red Hat. Right. And uh, be sure to like that smash button and share the show on social media. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Everybody have a great week. And remember the destination itself is just as important as the journey. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody blanked it out. I <laughs> he just. <sighs> All right, let's try that again. Everybody have a great week, and remember the destination. <laughs> you just messed it up again. <laughs> I don't know why we've only said this for 130 episodes. Uh, All right. What is going on with this episode? This is such a ridiculous episode. <laughs> I'm Listen. sorry, Ellie. <laughs> you're, you're the only if, if you you're, know, only, you're not going to release the episode because there'll be nothing of content there'll be nothing of, of substance <laughs> worth releasing but here's the thing like I, she, we've gotten to know each other enough you know if you dig your heels then I ain't backing down <laughs> 50 episodes from now we'll still be talking about Red Hat carrying cancer and ButterFS still losing people's files I mean, that's the way it's going to go so, hey why don't you, you know use it? all those friends you have at Red Hat to get us a real mobile OS there <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's totally going to be Red Hat's focus. Yeah, Fedora Phone. I mean, you just, and you spell yeah. phone with an F. Oh Fedora God. Phone. I think it'd be good. <laughs> you know what? Somebody said I in the comments that I love. They're like, I love this show because you guys constantly <laughs> pick on one another, but yet that's you're right. still friends somehow afterwards. <laughs> that's right. Well, it's, all, it's all good fun. Uh, Except for the ButterFS stuff. I think you're legitimately trying to sabotage <laughs> me. Well, the only <laughs> The only person we pick on and mean it's Michael. So wow, that's right. Yeah. Wow, I have felt a lot of growth and expansion of that trolling. So. <laughs> <laughs>